0: Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Um, Luke chapter 20, verse 1, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up. And said to him, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it, uh, or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in every single verse, every single word uh, that we see in the Bible, uh, we uh, can understand the, um, the secrets of heaven, kingdom things, because every word is breathed out, God, so we pray that you would help us to just even understand this portion of your word, and we pray that your spirit would do such a work that it would be relevant to our lives, especially in the context of being early in this calendar year, being early in this academic semester. Help us to set the right tone so that we can really pursue after you and draw near to you. Be here with us. Speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, living under authority. I mean, all of us have different perspectives about authority. We have different attitudes about authority. We're constantly under authority. You you, you grow up um, in the context of a family. You're under authority of uh, the adults in your life. You're under authority of your teachers. You're under authority. Even at church, uh, even in society, we're constantly under authority. What kind of attitude do we have um, as we think about the authority in our lives? And ultimately, every single human being is under authority of God. He rules everything, and he gets to dictate what our lives are about, what is the attitude that we have as we think about living under authority. So we'll think about that through this text. First, the challenge, the challenge of authority. It says again in verse 1, one day Jesus teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. And then in that context, chief priests, scribes, elders, come up to Jesus, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. Luke immediately says that Jesus was... Preaching the gospel. That's the context here. Jesus was preaching the gospel. And that phrase, preaching the gospel, that's a loaded phrase because it entails a lot of things. Gospel literally means good news. Jesus was preaching the good news. It was good news because it says, this message says that God in his love wants to save his people from sin. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This good news Offers eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the other side of this message, the other side of this gospel, was a call to surrender, right? It entails handing over the reins of one's life to Jesus, trusting that He is God, trusting that His Word is true. And that's why people had different responses when Jesus preached the gospel. Some people embraced it, some people Turned away from it. And throughout Jesus' public ministry, the religious leaders, like these people, chief priests, scribes, elders, the religious leaders generally did not respond well to the gospel. Because without Jesus in the picture, they were the religious authority. They dictated how people should live their lives or how people should interact with God. They got that information. People got that information from them. And they, because of that, they held the places of honor before men. Every party they went to, they got the important seats because they they were the voice of authority. But Jesus shows up, and he messed up everything for them. Jesus was too disruptive for their own lives. So these religious leaders hated Jesus and basically wanted to get rid of him. And that's exactly what Luke tells us right before the passage that we read. In chapter 19, in the last verses of verse 47, it says, He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. So this is the place where they were coming from. That's why they come to Jesus asking, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? Because their intention, even from the beginning, was to destroy Jesus. Now Jesus had demonstrated, had been demonstrating his authority throughout his ministry. And we see bits and pieces of that in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 4, verse 32, it says, They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Right? So even when Jesus taught, right, Jesus stood there, he taught, he spoke about the kingdom of God. It was different than the teachings of other rabbis. There was a certain authority to his words that people had not experienced before. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 4, they're all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So Jesus backed up the authority of his words through even all these miraculous deeds. So it was clear that he had authority, authority over nature, authority over diseases, authority over even demons. And all of this was a demonstration of his his authority that that he is God. Luke chapter 5, verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to even forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So it was clear through all of these things, clear to the humble heart at least, that Jesus' authority came from heaven, that as Jesus preached the gospel, that he was demonstrating his authority that, that not only he came from heaven, but that he's God. That's why the people who heard Jesus and saw these things were often amazed at Jesus because he taught with such authority. And for that same reason, because he had such authority, the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus because Jesus' authority was a threat to them. Recognizing Jesus' authority would mean that they have to give up their own authority. So that's why they wanted to stop Jesus. They did not want to recognize his authority because if they did, that means they have to live under his authority. So that's why they wanted to destroy Jesus instead. So rather than submitting to his authority, they came to challenge his authority. By what authority do you do these things? Um, now, Because each of our boys play basketball with nine other teammates, so because each of the kids play with nine other teammates on their team, Um, So that's like four times nine. That's 36, right? I meet a lot of different parents throughout in the weekends on these games. And these conversations that take place in the stands pretty much go the same way, right? Um, I'm so-and-so's mom. I'm so-and-so's dad. Oh, how many kids do you guys have? Oh, four boys. Wow, you must really be busy. And then it eventually goes to you. So what do you do? So I tell them. I'm a pastor, church. Now, when I tell them that, I get one of two responses. One is, right, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Oh, what church? And then they might say something like, oh, we go to, and then, you know, they name their church and things like that and kind of like have that conversation. And it's almost like they're so happy that I'm a pastor that, you know, it's almost like they're like, can your son be friends with my son? You know, like, oh, at least, like, you know, they'll probably, like, most likely be a good influence or something and things like that. And so, you know, that's, like, one of the responses. The other response, I'm a pastor. Uh, it's not, it's, not, it's, it's very different. It goes, oh, right? Oh, and then, like, oh, and then it's like their face stiffens up as if, like, they don't know how to respond beyond that. Like, oh. They don't know what else to say after that. Uh, Because being a pastor means that I'm associated with Jesus. And the name of Jesus makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Because everyone knows that Jesus thinks I should live my life a certain way. And it's uncomfortable and awkward when I'm suddenly confronted with the fact that someone else wants me to live my life a certain way. Because sinners don't want the authority of Jesus over their lives. The point is this. That heart is in all of us because we're all sinners. Even for those of us who go to church, in our hearts, we frequently fluctuate between those two responses to Jesus, right? Sometimes we might welcome his authority over our lives. Oh, Jesus! but we often awkwardly try to find ways to wiggle ourselves out of his authority over our lives. We welcome the message of the gospel, right, that offers salvation by grace. We welcome that message, but we often don't like the fact that that promise, his promise of eternal life by free grace, that that promise comes with some terms, terms of surrender, Surrender in faith that touches on all aspects of our lives. We don't like the fact that Jesus gets to, that He's the one who gets to decide what I do with my life between, you know, from, from Monday to Saturday. So we constantly wrestle with this question of authority of Jesus over my life. Jesus, why is it that you get to decide what I do with my life? Why do you get to decide, like, who I marry or where I live? Or, Why do you get to decide even what I feel is right or wrong? Why can't I decide that if I want to be mad at someone? Why does everything have to fall under your authority? That's what we do. We come to Jesus with the same question. Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority over my life? The challenge, the challenge of authority, that heart is in all of us. Secondly, um, and there's only two points today. Secondly, two points and then like a bunch of other stuff afterwards, but it's still two points. Secondly, exposing the heart. Exposing the heart. So in response, verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven, or from man. So in response to their question, where does your authority come from? Who gave you this authority? Jesus could have said, my authority comes from God in heaven, right? He could have said that, but that actually wasn't going to accomplish anything because these religious leaders were not asking this question to learn something from Jesus. Jesus knew that their question was not a sincere question, so he responds to their question, by asking a question of his own. And his intention in doing this was to expose what was in their hearts. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? You see, John, John the Baptist, was the one who said concerning Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist and Jesus were both sent by the Father in heaven. So, if they say that the baptism of, of John was from heaven, then they would be admitting that Jesus' authority was also from heaven, which, of course, the religious leaders were not going to do. But on the other hand, if they said that John's baptism was of man, then the people who responded to John's baptism or his, to John's preaching and thereby responding to his preaching by being baptized by John those people who had their lives transformed by the ministry of John, they were going to now oppose these religious leaders. Verse 5, and they discuss it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people who will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So when Jesus asked them, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man, You see, it really didn't matter to these religious leaders what the right answer was. The only thing that mattered to them was that they had the same place of authority that they always had over their own lives and over other men. That's all they cared about. It was not a sincere question. And in that same way, when they came and asked Jesus, tell us by what authority you do these things, it did not matter to them what the real answer was. They weren't seeking to find out if it was really from God so they can submit their lives under God's rule. They really didn't care if Jesus actually came from heaven or not. It didn't matter to them who John was or who Jesus was. All they cared about was having their authority over their lives. So Jesus exposed their hearts that set the bottom line I don't care who you are as long as I can have the same respectable stature before men and be the final authority over my life. Verse 7, so they answered that they did not know where it came from. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So these religious leaders, they respond to Jesus' question in the same way that the astros did. We have no comment about this at this time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. Okay. So Jesus saw and he exposed their deception, right? Their double-mindedness. They came to Jesus pretending to, to ask a head question, right? Jesus, we want to know what authority, uh, you know, where your authority comes from. Like, tell us. We want. We have this head question. But Jesus exposed the fact that it was really a huge problem in their hearts. I was thinking about it in this way. This, this, like, this, um, this uh, double-mindedness that these religious leaders had. Their deception, maybe even deception to themselves. Definitely deception to other people and trying to deceive Jesus. Maybe even deceiving themselves, which Jesus exposed thought about it like this. Like Satan really hates God, right? Satan really wants to destroy God's work, destroy God's kingdom. So he does it sometimes through persecution. And we know that, right? Uh, Different parts of the world, even throughout history, even today, Satan uses persecution to try to destroy uh, God's people, God's kingdom. And that persecution, when it comes... It can be so severe. Sometimes it's like a co-worker, like, not wanting to eat lunch with you because you're a Christian. But sometimes it could be, like, spilling blood, being burnt alive. Even in church history, we, you know, read things about, like, believers being flayed alive. Extreme torture, all because Satan hates God and wants to destroy God's work. That's one form. And sometimes, Satan also tries to accomplish that same goal through deception. Deception. And just like how persecution have, could have different levels and could be so severe, deception can be so cunning that deception can come, even, even from religious leaders, the respected men of the time, the, the religious leaders who have great reputation before men, like in this case here, and that is deception can hurt God's kingdom in such strong ways because our hearts want to embrace it because it falls in line with the, the desires of our hearts. That kind of deception that hurts God's kingdom can even come through us, the people of God, the, you know, people that go to church and so on. So we have to learn to recognize these, these even hidden problems within our own hearts. I can illustrate this through something that's kind of silly that I kind of had to deal with. Um, like I said, all of our kids play basketball, and um, our oldest has actually been really blessed in his young basketball career with some great coaches who've helped him to learn the game, helped him to develop into a, a good player. And that's why you know he's doing great right now in his uh, high school freshman team. Um, one of our other boys, who also likes to play basketball, has not had the same quality of coaches in his life. And uh, this season, just to be honest, I had a lot of frustrations with his coach. IMHO, my son, was not developing like he should because, and I can, you know, list off all these reasons. Like, the, his coach isn't building up the player's confidence, right? He doesn't, like, this coach doesn't understand what youth sport is about. His coach is not open to feedback. It's all about this coach doing this wrong and that wrong. And uh, it was at one point, like, it was really, really frustrating me. You know, I was, like, meeting with uh, the other pastors. You know, we meet regularly. I was like, oh, man, like, I'm, like, really frustrated. This stuff is going on. It's just, like, this, this coach, and it's just really bothering me. It was like, you got to understand, I was really frustrated by it. Sometimes you feel really frustrated by certain things. I felt really frustrated by this situation. And because I felt so frustrated, like, I had to ask myself, why is this bothering me so much? And, uh, and this is what I realized, right? Like, in the grand scheme of things, this is not that important. So why am I so bothered by this? And this is where that, that kind of led me to. You see, I really like it when I go to Enoch's games and he plays well, and then... What happens when he plays well is that all the other parents on the sidelines who are with me go ooh and ah in the middle of the game. I really like it when after the game, the other parents come up to me telling me how my son is the best player on the team. And that's largely why my other son's coach really frustrates me because I know that This other son has great potential to develop into a great player. He has the ability and athleticism, all those things. But this coach is getting in the way of me experiencing those kinds of self-exalting things in his games too. You see how wrong that is? Of the coach? (laughs) So those complaints that I have about the coach are, are really like some surface level things But if I go deeper, my frustrations really have to do with what's going on in my own heart. Again, this is only youth basketball. Put it in proper perspective, it's not really that important. But this is what I'm saying, that when someone gets in the way of what you really want, even if it's something so silly, right? If someone gets in the way of what you really want, it can tear you up inside. It can really make you angry. It can really make you frustrated. And as we see in this passage, it can eat you up to the point of where you're willing to destroy another person to get what you want. And that's what Satan does. He uses these these hidden cravings within our hearts for his agenda, to accomplish his agenda. We might think that we're perfectly in the right that we're perfectly justified in thinking how we're thinking and pursuing our agenda, but all along, Satan is using those sinful desires within our hearts to deceptively, deceptively destroy the kingdom of God. That's what we're saying. Because Satan's deception is so cunning sometimes, we need to learn to, to identify these things, even in our own hearts. You know, most of you are in your 20s or 30s right now, like most of you. So in 20 years, that means you'll be in your 40s and 50s. I was in the math team in high school. And that means in 20 years, and this is my point, in 20 years, like you'll be the leaders of your churches, whether here or elsewhere, you'll be the leaders, right? You'll be the elders or deacons or, or board members or committee leaders and so on. So that means you'll sit in positions where you can greatly influence your church for good or from that same position of influence you can divide and greatly damage your church. That's why we need to develop these kinds of habits now of learning to identify the issues in our own hearts, learning to blame myself first before blaming others so that we don't just go around blaming others and, and like especially causing divisions and problems in the church. Identifying that, that deception, which is one of the ways that Satan tries to work among us. And lastly, let's talk about this and we'll finish. I was watching a movie with our boys earlier this week. It was a Disney Plus movie on the Disney Plus you know, platform watching a movie. You know, a lot of these, I realized, a lot of these movies in Disney Channel, whatever, have these boy-girl storylines. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what the movie's about. It can be a movie about football. Oh, let's watch this. It's about football. But then, like, there's this, like, sub-storyline of, like, the boy and girl falling in love. It's almost like in every single movie. Uh, And that was the case in this movie that we're watching as well. And uh, at one point, so I'm watching this with them. At one point, there was something about a guy and a girl falling in love. And the movie was basically saying, like, I can't help what I'm feeling. Falling in love. And that's so unbiblical, you know? So I was, like, bothered by this. This Disney movie telling young children that they're no different from animals because you can't control your feelings. You can't control that you're feeling like this toward this person. You can't control your feelings. I'm falling in love. Like I'm falling. Like I'm falling in love. Can't help it. So in the middle of this movie, I said, "That's boys. That's so wrong. Hey, right? that's not. That's not, that's not right. That's not how things work, right? You have control over your emotions." And one of our boys goes, "Dad." You don't have to turn this into a life lesson. It's just a movie. (laughs) So I was like, all right, fine. So, you know, I was thinking, like, we we so desperately, I mean, we need to be aware. Like, I don't want my kids to watch all these Disney movies and then, like, go off to college when I'm not with them, meet some girl. I'm like, oh, I'm falling in love. I can't help it. That's so wrong. And that's why, by the way... On Valentine's Day (laughs) we're going to have a dating seminar at FNL talk about these kinds of things, that you actually do have control over your feelings. Anyway, okay? Um, So I don't want my boys to think like that or to to be a victim of the message of this world, right? So we, we really need to be aware of the ways that the world and Satan is trying to deceive us all around us, even through a harmless Disney movie. But in some ways, though, we can't. Like, we can't oppose it. In some ways, we can't fight it. Because it's not just all around us. We actually have hearts that want to embrace these deceptive messages. And that is why Jesus came and preached the gospel. And not only that, not only did he come and preach the gospel, that's why Jesus is the gospel. He gave his life soon after this interaction with the the religious leaders because we cannot save ourselves, because we cannot better ourselves. No matter how much I try to run away from the deception of this world and embrace truth and so on, In some ways, I can't because that deception is even in my own heart. But when we surrender the authority of our lives to him and agree to live under his authority, we can receive the benefits of his free grace to us and receive strength to overcome the deception of even, not only the world, but even our own hearts, even the deception that goes on here. So let us do that. Let us submit ourselves to the Lord and embrace his authority over our lives that we might be the disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Beginning of the semester, like September, beginning of the year, January, beginning of the semester, um, it's really an exciting time, Kind kind of a new slate in some ways. Fresh start, no matter what like 2019 was like, 2020 can be new, no matter what last semester was like, this could be a new semester. And it can also do that spiritually in our lives. We want to do that by searching our hearts and and repenting of our sins, focusing on his word, focusing on his love for us, focusing on the gospel message, focusing on Jesus, who is the gospel, and entering into a a right relationship with God in the way that he wants so that we can continually day by day by his grace overcome the deception that's going on in our own hearts and uh, really learn to be a disciple of Christ to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray for that. Let's pray that his word will speak to us even as our small groups start this semester. Let's pray that it would be a great time of getting deeper into his word even as we plan for the retreat. Let's pray that God will use that to really help us to set our hearts right and start on the right track this semester. Let's pray for these things that it would be a great semester of growth, learning to follow Christ. Let's pray for that. Close our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Even with all the lies and schemes of Satan all around us, even with the deception of our own hearts, you sustain us, you preserve us, you actually help us to move forward and not backward, all because of your grace and your faithfulness. Lord, help us to trust in that, help us to give ourselves to that, to surrender the control and authority over our own lives, give ourselves to you, and and, uh, humbly submit to your reign over our lives. We Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Every single one of us left to ourselves, 10 out of 10 times, will reject his authority and choose our own authority over our lives. Every single time. That's in every single one of us. But only by the grace of God, because of his love for us, because of his grace in our lives, he enables us to actually be able to surrender what is so innately difficult to us, enables us to follow him. He is worthy by his grace. We can follow, we can obey, we can live in his strength for the glory of God. So let's praise him as we conclude our worship. Let's praise him and exalt his name for everything, not only not only just everything that he does in our lives, but because of who he is, is by nature such a, a merciful, gracious God who is like that to undeserving sinners. Let's pray for the start of the semester in your small groups. New, sm- new small groups will start or uh, spring semester small will start this week let's pray for that it would be a great semester of growing together spiritually with our small group community let's pray together for the retreat god would use that time to do amazing things in our own hearts in our church our community one another and uh let's pray together for this semester we grow together just really be one of those you know, uh, pivotal times we can look back next year years from now and say god really worked in my life that year, that particular semester. Let's pray together for that, for God is gracious and faithful. He wants to hear our prayers. Let's pray, and then I'll close us. In prayer Heavenly Father, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you that you are with us and that you are on our side. You do not leave us alone because left to ourselves there would be no hope we'd be lost in our self-deception we'd be lost in our um, in the lies of this world we'd be lost living under our own authority but in your grace you invade just even the um, comfort desires of our our lives you make us comfortable um, you uh, come with the name of Jesus Christ and uh and you work in our hearts, showing us and convincing us how good it is to be under your authority. Uh, Lord, help us to just more and more, with uh, with more and more surrender, agree to that voluntarily. And uh, may this really be a great retreat, small group semester of growing in you and becoming more like you and becoming the disciple of Jesus. You- disciples of Jesus Christ that can go into this world and, and make a difference for the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, this incredible, unfathomable love of the Father God, and the fellowship, and the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, as you submit to God's authority both now and forever. Amen.